You're listening to the Bill Shapes Podcast, presented by Midco Sports. If you're a fan of UND softball, Midco Sports has you covered like no one else. Tune in Friday, May 5th at 2 p.m. to watch the Fighting Hawks take on Western Illinois in a senior weekend doubleheader from Grand Forks. Then catch North Dakota at the Summit League Softball Championships from Brookings beginning May the 10th. This is how we do sports, and this is the Bill Shapes Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Bill Shaves Podcast. It is a beautiful April morning. It's the 26th of April. We're taping this with spring championship season right around the corner. I'm Alex Heinert, joined as always by Bill Shaves. Bill, great time of year to be alive and to be in athletics right now. No doubt, Alex. Good morning, for sure. We're uh, recording Wednesday at 9 o'clock. So uh, when you do hear this, at least you have context as to when we're doing this. Yeah, just got back from uh, hockey meetings uh, in Florida and uh, was happy to see the majority of the snow's gone. So uh, that was a win. <laughs> I mean, a big, big win. I feel like it's spring. So uh, we're excited about it and excited about our guests, too, right? Because, uh, again, we're talking about spring championships. So I know Jim will be able to help us uh, along the way with this. Yes, the Jim Bill is referring to is UND head track and field coach Jim Camp. We appreciate you being here today. Jim, how are you? Doing well. Thanks, Alex. This is Jim's second season in charge of the program. What attracted you to this position in the first place? And how have you seen the growth of this program occur since you've been in charge? Boy, what attracted me to this is, I think, proximity to my roots. Originally, I was an NCC athlete, and so very familiar with the University of North Dakota and um, had seen things change and and progress and develop. And I really looked at, you know, this program as a a place uh, rife with opportunity and so that that was something that that really really excited me um about the the position in general so you know really familiar with the co- the, the the dakotas familiar with what the university of north dakota was externally and and what it had been in the past and then kind of viewed the that as something that we could come in here and and maybe improve make better or continue to uh move down the road like it's been in the past. So was excited about that. Since coming on board, and you came at a unique time, obviously, right after COVID and trying to get things rolling once the semester had already started. What were some of the steps that you and the staff took right away and have taken since to try and build this program out to get it back to what it was a handful of years ago? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that Bill and I talked about during our, our interview, he asked me what what things, basically the same question, what things I felt like need to be done and, and uh I think the first thing whenever you start anew with brand new people is you got to win hearts and minds. Um, And so less the X's and O's of track and field and, and more the building of relationships and the thoughtful um, interactions with some of the student athletes and people that are surrounding the program that have been here for a very long time. And will be here after I'm gone. Um, That, that to me is fundamental to the beginning to create a culture and a team and so I spent a ton of time just investing in people. The first, first thing I did as the head coach here was to have a team meeting in the park across the street, just because I didn't know what we could do indoors and outdoors and didn't want to jump through a bunch of hoops in re- regards to COVID. Uh, I just began by asking questions about who people were, why they were here and you know what they hoped for, what they wanted. And that was a, a really, really great conversation Kids still reference that, you know, today. And so, you know, we started with that. It took a little bit of time to onboard the rest of the staff and get people here. And then once we got people here, continue with the process uh, with people's hearts and minds, and then also building upon that, finding out maybe what what we can do to help people uh, to improve in their individual events. So we spent a lot of time just building that that broad foundation of, of trust which I think kind of exists today and then moved into helping people get better at actual track and field. And that's been, it's been a great process. Um, I've really enjoyed getting to know the people that are on the team, but uh, beyond that, getting to know the people that have been on the team in the past, you know, and that's led me to having lunch with um, school record holders in London and and having uh, opportunities to speak to people in Grand Forks and travel all over the state and go to different golf outings and just, shake hands and, and get to hear from people what, you know, they really hope or 
they, they view as the future for UND track, but also being able to hear about what was the past. You know, we were just in California this last um, last cycle when we were out there for the Brian Clay track meet and had a great opportunity to spend about an hour and a half with a school record holder in high jump and let him, you know, talk to some of the kids at high jump now and, and just hear about his passion for the program and, and what it meant to him. And he was one of, he was one of the kids that, that lived through the calamity of the, the flood in 97. And so very similar to what everybody survived with COVID. It's just something that was a, a disruption in life and a, a great individual and really enjoyable to see him interact with the kids and, and hear about his passion for the program. That's awesome. So, Jim, I, I'm going to take you. A, a, I think Alex will probably finish you off in question three about maybe how the team's doing and prospects for a championship and all that stuff. Not to tell you, Alex, what your question is, but the, <laughs> the, the, the second question almost not it's track related, but in some ways it's not program related. You have a really awesome vision as far as the utilization of the Pollard Center and really trying to get groups in there and getting, uh, um, let's just call it either high school meets there or just being a part to make sure that that can be a community asset. So if you can just talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I think one of the things that's fundamental to our ability to attract talent and to be a good steward really of resources and uh, a, a great neighbor within the state is is our ability to open up what is the premier facility in almost all of the entire United States. And, and I say that having visited almost all of the best track and field facilities, um, the experience that I see people have when they walk through the door where kids' eyes light up and they just say, wow, this, this is unbelievable. And that's really a great way, I think, to describe it. So what we've done um, this year is we hosted a, a track meet for the first time. You know, it wasn't an outside party that came in that wanted to rent the facility and kind of ran things. What we did is we gave student athletes an opportunity to give back uh, and to, you know, run their individual events. They're experts in the field. Man, did that run really, really well. Um, and then also we've had camps, just camps and camps and camps. And we can't have enough camps. We can't give back to the community enough because then you know, it pays dividends down the road when kids look at the facility and they talk about, man, this this is a place I want to be. Coincidentally, I was actually reading an article <laughs> that was archived in Sports Illustrated from, I want to say it was 2004 or 2005 when they were talking about the head coach, Sean Allen, who's at Grand Forks Central, was talking about his experience competing at Memorial outdoors and talking about how that facility there when we used to host the state high school track meet every single year was the whole reason that attracted him from small town north dakota to come to grand forks and attend und compete on the track team here and now he's another one of those guys that we continue to uh, interface with and try to bring his kids into the building all the time but to me it's just being a, a steward of a great resource uh, and providing opportunity. We all know the weather has not cooperated the last two springs like we would like it to, but you know what? Every single weekend, especially like when we're gone, we're on the road, we get that building open, we get people in there so that they have opportunities to participate in the sport that we love and really enjoy the facilities that UND has invested in so wisely. Yeah. So, so Jim, I appreciate you doing that for sure. And then again, there's a, there's a, Correct. There's a dividend piece that potentially maybe if uh, students are not going to be track athletes, maybe they'll become UND students, which is awesome. Um, I, I think, you know, that the other thing that's occurring is there's uh, been rentals of the facility as well. And that's something that between Brian Strom and, and Eric Martinson's crew, they've done a nice job of trying to figure that out. So we're always trying to balance how do we how can we use that facility as best as we can, but also make sure that our community is to some degree has an opportunity because at the end you said it can be a long winter and, and, and sadly the last couple of years has been in a sense really long so we just got to make sure that we uh we can provide those opportunities so i uh, appreciate everything you're doing in that in that front given the fact that we do live where we live and you can have winter at the end of april like we've had at times how important is that facility just to continue the culture of running 
And some of these events, you, you literally, I mean, any, anybody can go run, no matter what the weather is just about. But for the sprinters, for the kids who are, you know, long jumping, pole vaulting, et cetera, how big is that facility for track culture where we live? You know, it's hard to qualify that. I mean, it's 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 almost like immeasurable the the how important it is to the group. I'll say this from a cultural standpoint, the one thing that I love the most is that it gives everybody a home to be in at the same time and it allows the different groups because track and field is is by nature very fractured, gives everybody an opportunity on a regular basis to interface with one another and co- to continue to build that that concept of team. Um, it really just gives us a home and we are we are so grateful and so thankful for that that every single day we get to go to a facility where it's 70 to 75 degrees if it's a little bit warm in there during the winter, which is awesome and <laughs> and spend time with one another. So it's really uh, been one of the things that I think is the foundation or the building block of being able to create a true, a team experience, group experience uh, that's truly our home, you know, and we continue to use that on a day-to-day basis and there's no weather, there's, there are no disruptions that really interrupt that process. And so that Pollard Center has been fundamental to being able to help us as a coaching staff continue to, to build on what we currently have and what we've had in the past. So it's, it's like I said, almost immeasurable how, how, how important it is. Yeah, and I, I guess the follow-up, maybe more of a comment than anything, appreciate, obviously, uh, our, our folks, our teammates in the foundation that, that helps us with our awesome donors, uh, the vision of our uh, university uh, administration, and, you know, knock on wood, hopefully it just gets better for Jim's program. Hopefully we, we're, we're going to be adding on to uh, to that building, and, and the home becomes even more of a home, certainly when there's a locker rooms there, and, and there's some things that, uh, you know, they can they can really hang their hat and really get better, right? As a as a as a student and as an athlete. So uh, we're excited about that for sure. Yeah, it's fun to think the best is yet to come. Even with that building, we still haven't even gotten the thing completed yet. But again, soon soon to come uh, for Jim and for the rest of the programs that use that facility. Final topic, and we're gonna get let's get into the weeds here. Let's really just get into this whole track and field thing, Jim. I know as as a College head coach, you can go a lot of different directions in how you want to shape your program. You've seen some teams decide to go really heavy on one specific discipline, or we're going to be great at at this particular area, or others will be much more spread out in terms of we want to be we want to score in every category. I know that your your ideology is a little bit different than Christine Engel, who preceded you in that. Talk a bit about where you come from when it you, in terms of building a track and field team to be successful. So I think we're all a product of our experience. And in my experience, the teams that I was a part of that were successful, that won NCC championships, were pretty well-rounded teams that had every single event, whether it was jumps, whether it was throws, whether it was distance. Um, You know, and I even think back to the team that I was a member of that was fourth at nationals. My senior year, we had kids that competed in the 10K, the 5K, the steeplechase, the 800, the 110 meter hurdles, the javelin, the decathlon, the hammer. And like, that was our team, you know? And so a very well-rounded group of individuals, they were almost exclusively individuals that were from within four to five hours of my alma mater. And so because I am a product of that, uh, I think that's where I tend to lean. I tend to look at what is available that is valued that is close to us where can we find people that are going to help us be successful but then the other part of my experience has been my segue into the southeast for about 10 total years between atlanta and charlotte where i looked at the comparative advantage of the institution and the guy who preceded me believe it or not came from minot traveled to charlotte to be the track and field coach there, now uh, an elite level Olympic level coach who's had some guys win a couple medals for him and they were really heavy in distance. So those are the two lenses that I kind of look at the world through. And so we continue to, uh, I think, try to exploit what I see maybe 
a softer area in, in the Summit League, which is not in the big sky, of course, where we don't have to deal with NAU, who's a national champion every single year in cross country. But in the Summit League, I think there's an opportunity for us, certainly in cross country, to be very competitive. We've gotten closer to that every single year. And I think we'll take another step forward in that area this next year with a bunch of recruiting. Um, but then also my network, which is the people that I know, has given us the opportunity to go global in a sense and to pursue individuals that are also really good in some of the events we've had, the, you know, the either the newcomer or the Summit League individual uh, of the year, the last two years, and both of those young ladies come from uh, Norway and Sweden, so very outside of our area. And I think next year we'll have a much more global flair to our, our team as we're going to bring in kids from Latvia and Germany and Serbia and Finland and Sweden and Norway and potentially the UK and France and New Zealand. I mean, we're just really all over the place. And so what I think you'll see long-term is us continue to build ourselves into a very, very well-rounded group that'll be competitive in almost every area that you can be competitive in. And part of that is uh, by design. You know, We're trying to leverage certain opportunities that we have to find um, people that wanna be part of the program that are gonna be able to help us, help us score and, and get better. So that's really, a very long question to a short answer, but I, I think, you know, my experience is part of the reason we are the way that we are. And uh, I'm also looking for kids that fit my personality, which people that are not afraid to try new things and, and do things that maybe they're not the best at, you know, Tiffany and Yuka uh, Beth, both freshmen this year are by, by design, they're multi-eventers that do a lot of different things. So that gives us a tool that we can plug into wherever we need them to, to help us out. Very similar to Elisa Olseth last year. So, so follow up to that, um, Jim, I think, and I know you and I have had this conversation as well, is that you're, you're definitely strategic though, in where you're going in, in as far as recruiting, and especially when someone might hear it worldwide to some degree, I still think though, you're really thoughtful though, about potentially the conversations you're having, because truly it's going to be one hard to go to another country. And then there's obviously going to be a culture that they're coming into that they have to be good with. 100%. Um, part of that is, you know, I spent a lot, not as much time in the French Riviera, Riviera or in the Mediterranean, but we're looking for people who are very familiar with where we're from and what they're coming to. So I think that that's super important. You've probably heard a lot of Scandinavian countries when I mentioned that earlier, that's some of the people that settled this area of the country and very familiar with, you know, snow and, and some of the other challenges or opportunities that we might have here. Uh, one of the, one of the young ladies that's going to join us this next year, I, I was having a conversation with her in the recruiting process on a little coffee uh, shop in Germany. And she said, I have to ask a question. Does it snow there? And, you know, inevitably the question that that's either going to go one way or the other. And I said, uh, yeah, it snows. She's like, Yes, that's I love snow. That's going to be perfect. Uh, All right. So you're going to fit in, you know, just right. And, and part of that is we're not trying to bring people to the University of North Dakota who are uninformed or don't want what we have. We want people who, when they come through the door, they're invested. I'm not worried about the transfer portal in an exit sense as much as finding people who want what we have. And that's great facilities, awesome people, and an opportunity to get better. You know, we spent our entire spring, for the most part, in California. I spent about, you know, three total weeks out there with student athletes. I had a call with a potential student athlete last night. And she said, I've seen the meets that you go to. You go to the best places. You guys have an indoor facility that is is awesome. I want to be on your team. That's an easy sell. I'm not, I'm not out there so much, you know, as, as hawking used cars as I'm letting people know about the opportunity that exists. And that goes back to getting people from our local area through the door and then getting out on the road and selling what we have here to the people that don't know it exists. And so recruiting's really been, been awesome. I, you know, to allude to where we're going as a program, we're going to be completely unfamiliar to where we've been historically in the past next year. If you look at even the top 10 lists, the kids that are on the team, whether it's kids that were here when I got here, kids that we've brought in since, they just continue to climb those, climb those lists. And, and coach Tom Scott, our distance coach on the 
men's side, he said, we've got one more men's record to break that hasn't been set yet. And I think that's the men's 800 outdoor. And I'm very confident Jesse Mittendorf will get that done in the next couple of weeks. So really exciting to see where things are going and, and see what the opportunity is to move things in a positive direction. Yeah, I think that's a good segue into our last conversation, which is about the championships that are coming up here in two weeks in Fargo. You mentioned those school records. We saw three more get broken in the distances this last weekend in California. You've got a couple of tune-up meets. I, I, not that you call Drake Relays a tune-up, but you have a couple of meets between now and the Summit League Championships. Jim, give us a little preview of what we should expect coming up on May the 11th through the 13th out at Fargo. Well, I'm hoping we can expect 60 to 70 degrees and sun. We're moving down <laughs> to Fargo, about an hour south of us. Uh, they've told me they got all the snow off the tracks, so things are just trying to dry out right now. And for us, you know, that's about as close for the moment as we can get to a, a home uh, conference championship or the outdoor scenario. Um, I know they'll do a great job. They've got a brand new facility down there. Um, they've got that all ready to go. But, you know, on the men's side, I, we continue to grow uh, compared to where we were last year. Um, we've got guys like we talked about that have broken a lot of school records. We've got people like Luke Labatt, who, you know, he ran in the first race of the year what he ran in the last race of the year, last year. And so he's matured. We've got a guy, a local guy, Bismarck product, Austin Wolf, who's you know, gotten himself over that seven foot mark, seven foot, one half inch. He's number two all time uh, behind another North Dakota product who's a seven, one and a quarter. So we're really close to, I think, capturing a Summit League title in that. And then we've got some other guys uh, that continue to develop, whether it's, you know, long jump or the hurdles, uh, the decathlon, you know, all of those different things, the javelin where they're, they're continuing to improve. So if you go all the way back to indoor two years ago, uh, we we're pretty much last. Um, scored about 14 points as a team. Indoor, we talked about trying to score 50 points as a men team, men's team and taking a shot at finishing in that uh, fourth to fifth spot. We put a little pressure on the guys and some responded and some that's the first time they've had any pressure on them. So I think you have to give uh, our group opportunities to respond to some prompts. And I think we're going to try to do that again. So on the men's side, if we could finish in that, you know, four to five spot, that would be probably the tops for, for the group that we've got right now. So um, that's been exciting just to see them to go from, you know, last to continue to move up that, um, move up that ladder. And that next step for them is going to be figuring out how we get um, some more talent on the team. I think not that there isn't talent now, but more talent always helps. And unlike basketball, you can put more than five on the floor at one time. So you can have a total group of 30. Um, and we're just trying to get there with the men. Now on the women's side, uh, Elisa Olseth, who was the Summit League Athlete of the Year, scored a bunch of points outdoor, redshirted during the indoor season so that we can really time up things with our new recruiting class next year for the indoor season. That gave a spot for freshman Tiffany Magnuson and newcomer Milena um, Colbert to get in there and really score some big points as well. So now we're going to put all of those pieces back together and looking at things, women, best day ever. We slide into the three spot. Uh, looks like about 125 to 104 points. That's what the difference is right there. And that's a good day for uh, us and maybe a bad day for them. Uh, but then ultimately, the last thing that we're trying to do is work towards that number one spot. And that looks like that's over 200 points. So we want to continue to grow as a program and uh, and score as many points as possible. So the other thing I guess I forgot to mention is that we're red shirt and seven or eight girls right now as well that I think that can score points. So we're just really trying to time things up and continue to build in a real thoughtful way towards what the future is going to be. So we're going to have some great standouts uh, in some of the individual events on the lady side. But I think we're probably going to end up in that four spot again. Exciting stuff. It's crazy that it's that time of year that we're already here for outdoor championship season, followed by the regionals as well. And so, Jim, it paints a great picture of where this program is headed. We're excited to see what happens over the next couple of weekends and what happens in the future for this program. Great job getting it rolling again. Yeah, appreciate it, Jim. And I, you know, you, 
it's funny when I talk to uh, Coach Schweiger about um, putting his roster together, it's almost like, yeah, you, you need to know football, but you better be pretty good at math too, because you got to figure out all of the, you know, the permutations with scholarships. Yours, yours is a three season constant puzzle that just never ends really. And then you have to decide on what might make sense. And if everything goes well, this is what could happen to some degree so anyways we appreciate what you're doing appreciate your vision for sure and uh appreciate you coming on the pod appreciate you guys having me thank you jim best of luck down the stretch thanks great stuff from jim Varencamp as the track and field program gets set to wind down their season biggest meets of the year on the way they're at drake this weekend also in indianola iowa and in moorhead as well a little split squad action coming up and then they'll be in fargo the next weekend for a tune-up before the championships coming up on the 11th through the 13th down at ndsu it, it really paints a great picture of what this program is going to look like in a couple years you can tell that he really has a plan and, a, as you mentioned, a vision in place of what he thinks can be successful in this league. We've already seen some of the fruits of that labor bear out on the women's side. With Again, top, top four in this league is not easy. There are some really good programs in this summit. You've seen the individuals start to progress. It's just a matter of time before things really do start to click across all disciplines. And this, these teams are challenging for championships. A hundred percent, Alex. Uh, and, you know, I think Jim... The best way of putting it, uh, you know, there's just a complete puzzle all the time because they never stop between the outdoor cross-country season in the fall. Then they go straight into indoors. And then there's, you know, uh, obviously more events there that you've got to kind of figure out. And then then really it's the macro side when you get to the outdoor season. And so you are trying to time it, sync it, trying to figure out, uh, you know, how you can get to a certain point so that we can continue to climb, um, you know, the standings and the results during championships. And I think Jim uh, is appreciating the challenge and uh, he's looking at it from a very holistic view and uh, certainly has cast his net uh wide uh as far as you know who you know who who he wants to try to bring in to the university of north dakota and uh and give them an awesome opportunity and you know the one thing we didn't even talk about is the fact that no matter where you're coming from what an awesome academic experience here too so so at the end you know there's just as a as a flagship right you just have so many opportunities from that academic side that you're you're able to, in a sense, spin that plate too, as far as the students coming in. So anyways, really excited about his leadership. And, uh, you know, we, and I think the other piece was the community side. I mean, he, he values that tremendously and, you know, and, and especially a year like this year, um, you know, we've got to be great teammates to, uh, to folks, uh, in the state so that we can, uh, make sure we do what's right by, uh, you know, really all, of uh, our, our, our citizens and our students that are not necessarily at the University of North Dakota. Yeah, you mentioned about hosting those camps and having meets in the Pollard. Like all those things are big lifts. Like it's not easy putting a trap meet on or it's not easy having a couple hundred people inside your facility for a camp. Like that takes a lot of legwork. But the fact that he and the staff and the university are willing to take that on for the good of the community and the good of the sport. And as you said, you, you'd hope to see some benefits from that in the future, but really it's still a pretty altruistic thing. We want to do something for the community, do something for these kids to give them a love for this sport, give them a chance to get a leg up. It's not easy credit to them for making the effort to make those things happen. Yeah, no doubt. There's uh, you know, a financial benefit to the program as well, but they're working for it. I mean, so there's always going to be a cost, right? But, and, and certainly they do want, the program to benefit uh, on a financial side too. Cause if you can do that, then that kind of churns the engine a little bit more so that when he does need to potentially go to recruit uh, internationally, um, we just might not have it budgeted on the operational side, but he can use dollars that have been generated external from his normal travel. So anyways, all those, all that to be said, we, you know, we're excited about the direction of the program and uh, yeah, if everything works out, you know, hopefully we're, you know, be knocking on the door here in the, uh, in the not so distant future. Yeah, that is the hope for Fighting Hawks track and field and cross country. Again, thanks to Jim for taking some time. Best of luck to him and Tom and the crew as they head down to Fargo in a couple of weeks for the Summit League Championships on the outdoor side. 
Championship season, we mentioned at the beginning, we saw the women's and men's tennis teams wrap up their seasons this past weekend in the Summit League Championships. The women making it all the way to the title game with a great win in the semis over Kansas City, then coming up short against a nationally ranked Denver team, who I think had won, what, their ninth championship in a row? Something crazy like that. You go up against a juggernaut that's ranked. It's it's going to be tough, but a great season for them. Same story for the men. They make the championships, you know, program record for wins. They fall in the semis in the end to Drake. But those two programs, Bill, took incredible strides this year and had a ton of success. Yeah, we, we did. I Credit to uh, to uh, Coach Boyson and uh, Kyle Anderson uh, and all of our student athletes. I, I thought they did a, a tremendous job that um, – it felt like there were highs that that those programs have never ever attained, and uh, you know I just think that sets sort of it can set the bar one, but it more creates a foundation for what could be moving forward. And I think you know from our facility here in Grand Forks, where the actually uh, match day atmosphere is just tremendous, um, and in fact we hear that from the other schools that come in too. Like I, you know, that's what's kind of cool. Like like you know we had the Denver's who obviously are very good in that sport um the weekend before and uh the ladies played them on one day and the men played them on on the sunday so saturday sunday and i just think you know they were impressed with uh you know just the atmosphere the amount of folks that actually are interested and watch and you know because hey if you're a competitor you want to play in a great atmosphere even if they're rooting against you right like i mean (laughs) that that's okay that's okay. So, uh, so I think they were, uh, they were actually quite excited about it. Yeah. And for the ladies to go down and, and be Kansas city, you know, I think we said it a couple of weeks ago when we potted that one was a tough, uh, it was, a, it was a weird scheduling situation that occurred down there. Not that that had anything to do with it. It was a fair, it was a close match anyways, but yeah. if they, when, played they lo- a, when they lost to Kansas yeah, city in the they regular lost season, four yeah. to one. Yeah. So if you played a best of seven with them, who knows, could be four, three, who knows, four, two. I mean, it, it that that's what those teams, teams were, but Denver certainly is on another level. And then on the men's side, Drake and Denver, uh, I think Tom had said if they played again, you know, seven times, it might be four, three. And so I think, you know, we lost to a pretty good Drake team. And so, uh, but I think the men, you know, have established as well, you know, some, uh, some things that they want to try to get done programmatically, which is exciting. Yeah, it really cool to see both of those programs who don't get a lot of publicity and haven't traditionally been a power really have success this year and take off. So hopefully that is just the first step in continuing the climb forward in this conference for both men's and women's tennis. Uh, one other sport that just wrapped up their season, women's golf, just just finished Summer League Championships. They were two shots away from finishing in sixth place. They come up a little bit short on day three. But that's, again, another team that just continues to make strides, find ways, tough finish maybe to the season on the final day, but a lot of accolades for that group over the course of the season. Yeah, day three is the day. I mean, that's the separator between uh, teams, and uh, you can certainly get after it on day one and day two, but it's no different than an individual tournament on a Sunday, right? Like, uh, it just, uh, you got you got to kind of bring it all three days, and so therefore, uh, unfortunately, uh, probably uh, Coach Ament would probably uh, hope that we were going to fare better, but you know what? You, you keep growing there, but I, I was excited to see Kerry Carpenter uh, was named the elite student athlete of the of the of the actual championship. And, uh, you know, she's only a mechanical engineering major with a four Oh, I mean, you know, no problem, no, no, no issues. You know, she was the third, by the way, student athlete from UND to get that award this season of the championships. Yes. Pretty good. Pretty, it's pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty, pretty good. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> it was, it, it was great. And, uh, um, you know, that that's it, the balance. I, I've been just utterly impressed with our, with what our students are doing in the classroom. I mean, they, they've done an awesome job and, uh, yeah, it's exciting when you see that. Yeah. Well, good for Carrie. Good for the team. Again, four teams were within three strokes of each other at the bottom and UND just comes out on the wrong end. The men, by the way, will take on the rest of the league coming up this coming week, April 30th through May 2nd, also down in Lincoln for the Summit League Men's Golf Championships. The other big news right now in UND Athletics, Bill, you just got back from Florida. You've been down at NCHC meetings in Naples this past week. Welcome back, as you mentioned earlier. Give us a little taste on what was going on and some of the conversations that you can share from those meetings. Each year, they pretty much run the same course in a sense. I mean, I, I think you you probably have two buckets, kind of more the macro conversations about 
you know, what is happening in college hockey landscape? What's happening in the NCAA? How does it fit in to the NCAA? What's happening these days? So that that's on like on one side. So those are the ones that, you know, you're just trying to figure out, okay, where, where and what should we be thinking moving forward? Because you just don't want to be caught, you know, not being aggressive in some way, shape or form. If there's if you need to be aggressive. So sometimes maintaining is the right thing to do. So, so, so that's on one side conversations. And then you get into the micro, right? Like, like how can we, how can we continue to be better as a conference? And were there some of the things that maybe cost money or don't cost money? And some of the things that don't cost money are just like game day operations. And, you know, a lot of times we talked about cameras, cameras working or not working and you know being really involved uh, you know as an administrator to make sure that your venue is you know uh providing the best experience possible for the fans that come and for the students that are playing and the coaches that are coaching and so you know those are things that you kind of talk about and you try to be a bit um candid be honest with you like like these are some of the issues that we had and here's actually the issue that that was the case and we we just need to try to get you know be better be more productive how can we help how can we do things that um might make it better for us so yeah i you know there's some interesting you know conversations like always in the landscape of of college hockey i think there's a couple of schools in the east maybe utica and binghamton that's kicking tires about get coming into the uh uh, landscape. Um, Augustana is going to start this upcoming year. So I think that's always something that you're talking about, always something that you're kind of figuring out. And then what does that mean for the NCHC? And then, you know, what should we be doing? So lots of conversations in that regard, but nothing definitive, I would say, coming out of here. But I would say uh, Heather, um, Commissioner Weems, in her first year, you know, she's trying to cycle through like, okay, now, now, what's important to the coaches? What's important to the FARs? What's important to the administrators that I can bring to the presidents so that we can just fortify a strategy because ultimately they're going to be the decision makers to sign off on any strategy that we have moving forward. Yeah. I'm guessing people listening to this are curious probably about two big topics and we'll see how much you can say about this. I'm sure the folks at home and the coaches We'd probably bring rules up. It's not a rule change year, of course, in NCAA hockey. There were some changes this last year, coaches' challenges, some tweaks to a couple smaller things. Was there any feedback on how the coaches felt those rule changes were and if there were any any clamoring to say, hey, next year we need to make some changes when we have a chance to amend the rules? Yeah, so interesting. So I departed. Our meetings were like Sunday night, all day Monday, half day Tuesday. And then I jumped on a plane and I was here, you know, midnight last night. So I, I, I was gone right after the meetings, Eric Martinson, who's on the rules committee. So what ends up happening in the first couple of days, each of the conferences are getting together, talking about the macro and the micro, and then they will get into that probably nitty gritty, like today, tomorrow, because mm. uh, Marty's group is, is down there. Uh, the the uh, actual rules committee, but they have access because it's the coaches convention down there as well. So they have access, uh, perfect access to all the coaches to have those conversations. And so, you know, we will have to uh, we'll have to grill Eric at some point in time and see what he can share at some, you know, at some point. But yeah, I don't know. I, you know, we've talked about some things, Alex, what are you hearing? I mean, what what's your thoughts about what maybe needs to be either tweaked or, or, or rediscussed. You know, I thought things, the changes for this year, I thought for the most part went pretty smooth. I thought the coaches challenged it. It took a little bit to sort of figure that piece out of how aggressive should coaches be. And do you continue to challenge, even if you don't have a timeout? I think it took some of the coaches across the country, maybe two months or so to understand maybe when to use that and when to not. I suppose the other big one that was adjusted was the stripping of the five-minute major automatic game misconduct, yeah. that those weren't married together anymore. And I thought that was another good change this past year. And you saw that come to fruition a number of times over the course of a season, where in different years, a hit might merit a five, but probably didn't merit a game misconduct. And it gave the officials the opportunity to keep the player in the game. We saw that with Reese Gaber 
in that St. Cloud State game where he mm-hmm. gets a five, but not a game misconduct, and he comes back and he scores the game tying and the game winning goal. Last year he would have been done. He would have been out of the game. So mm-hmm. I, I think that was a really positive change, and I heard I heard a lot of positive things from both fans and coaches on that regard. Yeah, I think the other conversation we had that's more uh, more conference centric because I think each conference has to decide um, their way of evaluating supplemental discipline. And I think mm. there's, I think that conversation was good, healthy. Um, as far as I, I think just like a game, like this, I, this was my comment to some degree, uh, you know, around the room as we were being f- somewhat candid, I think it's just like a game where officials go in and, and call a game to a certain standard. I would like supplemental discipline to be the same thing. It needs to be to a standard that uh, doesn't deviate much from uh, from one to another. You should be able to look at one and say, yeah, I can understand because player X also had that happen to him as well. But if it's what's weird is it feels like sometimes the standard maybe gets a little bit wider and 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 one person gets a game, another person doesn't. And I, I just think, you know, I, I, not that we can be better. I, I, I'm not even sure I like that term. I just think we need to be really consistent because it is a big deal to not have one of your athletes not play a game. I mean, it's just a, it's a big, big, big deal. Now, sometimes they earn it. And, and at the end of the day, that that's exactly the right call. So, so by no means am I saying that it shouldn't be that way. It's just the consistency aspect. How do we do it? What's the process? And, and, and I think the other piece is the timeliness of it is I, I you know, I've been a big proponent. Hey, if we're going to get news, give it to us as soon as possible. I mean, I know you're going to have to go through a vetting process, but it doesn't help especially Friday into a Saturday, it doesn't help to hear it at 2 p.m. That I mean, you've already gone through your meetings for the day. You've done a lot of those things. We, the sooner you're going to get that information, both good or bad, is better for everybody. I would agree. And I would hope that those are things, based on what we saw, I know the specific instances, like in Miami this year, you have discipline come down. It comes down at 1.30 in the afternoon when there was a lot of, well, we don't have to go into the details about that. But again, yes, I think that's something that probably needs to be outlined in pen. This this is the protocol for this. Yeah. And I'm always careful. I try to be really careful. Um, you just can't go in because you had something happen to you. I mean, per se, I'm always trying to think the bigger the bigger side of it. But you you have experience as to what happened to you. And then I start thinking, I don't want it to happen to somebody else. Most importantly, I don't want it to happen to the student athlete. It's really that's ultimately where it's not fair. And so at the end of the day, we've had back to back years because it was Cooper Moore two years ago. Right. Mm-hmm. And so so it's happened back to back years where. It's just, we just have to get that expedited a little bit. And I think we have technology and we have the ability to do it. So like at the end of it all, if a decision's going to be made, let's make it, let's go. Yeah. So beyond rules and discipline, the other one that's been coming up and that that made some national news this week is just the conference membership. And I know nothing's going to change for next year, of course, but I'm just curious if there was a conversation regarding what the conference will look like perhaps in two years, if the expansion's on the cards, if there's perhaps a switch in the books, just give me a little flavor on what the, what the conversation was like. Yeah. I think the simple way to be nice and cagey about this answer is it's always a constant bullet. And I think we continually have to make sure as schools potentially add the sport. um, And we're looking at the NCAA where I'll say multi-sport conferences may or may not um, have more sent down to them from the, the, the member from, from Indianapolis, where maybe, you know, you adjudicate that stuff at the conference level. And then you start have to thinking about, well, if you're a single sport conference, do you have enough staffing? Do you have enough support to be doing whatever it is that's ultimately going to come down? So yeah, definitely conversation in that regard, um, you know, where it actually goes or if anything changes i think it's premature right now 
to to even uh, even speculate uh, because I, I really don't know. But no, we had robust conversation in that regard. Yeah, always a talking point. You Always, know, certainly, certainly amongst fans, but definitely amongst yes, the schools that are affected by this because it is huge. Who, who you're linked with, how this works, and we've, we've talked so much about how the NCAA is a changing body right now, and you just don't know what's what's coming up next. Have to be on your toes. How many leagues have had consistent membership for a decade? Probably not many, and I'm talking across the whole landscape. Yeah, and so you think about it. The NCHC is probably in interesting in areas, so to speak, right now. And so, <laughs> yeah. you know, could something happen? Sure, sure, it could. I mean, but, you know, I think especially in the sport of hockey, there always feels like it's a little bit of a domino effect, too. I mean, I think I think you, you, you got to be a little bit more thoughtful about, you know, caretaking the sport. Yeah, that's a good word to use because that's it. You're stewards right now. Everybody in the sport is stewarding this and you're in a position of leadership for a certain time and then the next person is going to take over and you want to keep it keep it going, keep it in a good spot. And yeah, 10 years is nothing to sneeze at. I know it's not like the the long, you know, 40, 50 year history of the WCHA, but the, in this day and age, a decade's a long time. To have but I'm just saying with the same together. members. And that's, that's what I'm saying. To keep a group together like that for 10 years, yeah, it would probably be a pretty short list right now of who looked the same in 2013 as they do in 2023. So, yes. Uh, Bill, anything else uh, from your perspective, from your chair that's happening right now that you want to chat on? No, but we can tease, I think, the next pod for sure. Uh, so I was able to get a hold of uh, the commissioner of the Big Sky Conference, Tom Wistersill. So we will have him as a guest, um, our next pod when we do it, uh, when we record. I think it's going to be May 10th when we record that. Um, so a couple weeks away. Uh, excited about that. I've known Tom for a while. And uh, I think uh, given the fact that the Summit League and the Big Sky are going to do a challenge in basketball, plus I'd like his perspective just on the landscape from his his eyes yeah that will be a fun one looking forward to having tom on uh, in two weeks time so before we let you go we got to do a really brief flip to talk about what's happening with spurs bill i just i feel like i'd be remiss the people want to know your opinions on what's happening at white Hart lane because things are happening i think the last time we potted i want us was let's see the first managerial change had happened so the Conte revolution was over I believe Christian Stellini was in as a caretaker manager. In the interim, he's now out. Ryan Mason is in charge. The team lost 6-1 the other day. They refunded the fans who traveled to Newcastle the money for the ticket because it was such a bad performance. <laughs> How are you feeling, Bill, about Spurs right now? Yeah, so... so um... So where, <laughs> where do I even start? <laughs> let's just start on Sunday with the Newcastle match. So, so Spurs amazingly now they're sixth on the table, but they're still fifth. So among all the other stuff, like, like Alex's team is like had a, a historic run and we're still ahead of Liverpool. Still, still ahead of us. <laughs> like, 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 so let's not get too crazy here. So that I'm going to balance that optimism with what my wife would say between my son and I, us two being the worst fans ever, because we <laughs> just beat down our team to mercilessly because we knew I didn't know it was going to be that bad. I knew they would get crushed at Newcastle, but I didn't ever foresee it to be a historic crushing. And so Alex, when you set a record like they did, th it was quite alarming, actually. They gave up five goals, five goals in 21 minutes. This is team number four against team number five in the table. <laughs> so it but they they let in two in the first three minutes. I think they had five. Uh, let's just call them in hockey terms, entries into the zone. And they were five for five. Now, having said all that, our caretaking manager, who was connected and at the hip of Antonio Conte, 
which was another interesting decision that we went in that direction. So I don't think we got the, let's just call it the new manager bump. You we, didn't get the bounce. No, we didn't get the bounce. We, no. we actually got whatever the reverses of the bounce. <laughs> that's what we got. But what ended up happening is there had been some clamoring in corners to change the formation, a formation that the team has played for over a year. And some would argue that was the right decision. Let's just say if you're in the summer, not if you're going <laughs> up to Newcastle and play a team that let's just say has been pretty good all year, has just coming off a tough loss and they were ready for you. And then when I saw our young kid, Sar, who was put into the lineup and I saw Right before the game, Stellini was still working with them as far as where the pressure could be coming from. I didn't have a lot of confidence at that point. <laughs> Felt like we were cramming for a test. Mm. And as much as you think you might know it, eh, I just don't think you knew it. <laughs> that bore itself out over, over the first 21 minutes. Uh, pretty... Pretty wild stuff. Like again, it just it just doesn't happen that you you give up that many like that in that in that manner. It just well incredible. further further not to get so deep into this, but why not? So we ended up instead of playing a back three defenders, we played a back four, which logically is fine if you just stopped there. The problem with that one was our two outside defenders aren't fullbacks. No. So so technically, we were playing a back two. Back two. <laughs> and actually, it bore itself out. Well, lesson learned, right? You know, and, and now you move on. Well, back to you. You're the, like, I'm, you're the expert. You're, you're in the 400 level class. I'm maybe in the 200 yeah. level class. But the, the question is, how many times have you seen players? Uh, this thing keeps going to some because there's because the Spurs play. There's midweek games now. Spurs mm -hmm. play home against Man United Thursday, and let's just say um, there could be some sadness if there hadn't been some things happening between Sunday and Thursday. But the, for the players, literally, to come out and say that you know we they're going to get ticket refunds. And and ultimately the players will pay the club or whatever to to make sure that that gets done. So everybody that did go on the road, their account will be credited based on what transpired. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I will say in the wake of this, that the the right buttons have been pushed. It feels again. God bless Christian Cellini, but of course the the club lets him go, which is a tough decision. But probably you probably shouldn't have been in charge in the first place. They make they issue the players issue this statement of apology and talk about how much the loss hurt, how disappointed they were, how apologetic they were that the fans came to support them. They then ask the fans to continue supporting them the rest of the way because they'll you're like we need your support. We, we're still in, we're still in the hunt for a European qualification. If they beat Man U, who's right now in third in the league, you're still within earshot of a Champions League spot. Like that's not out of the question. So. The season's not lost. I think they've handled things pretty well. And yes, it's disappointing when you get shellacked like that. And it could easily turn into one after the next after the next. Most of the time, though, you see an immediate response. If, you, if your group has any kind of backbone, if there's anything there, you would think with a big opponent now coming up and you're playing at home, you'd hope that there would be a response. And it wouldn't surprise me if they go out and they win like two to one or they have a, a spirited draw with Man U. I, but it depends on what Ryan Mason does, who's another un, you know former Spurs player. How does he approach this? Who does he put in the lineup? What is their formation? There's a lot of things that I'll be curious about when they take the pitch on Thursday. Well, because it's uh, been just a fascinating uh, four-year slog, um, you know, Ryan Mason has done this two years ago, but at least he's, he has at least, uh, you know, been in charge a little bit, but, but you're right. I mean, I'm not sure why this wasn't 
the move when Conte departed anyways. It's just, and again, it's easy to Monday morning quarterback anything, but I, I would say generally in real time, it, that was an interesting decision. I, I don't, I don't know why that happened. And I think the only other lever that they could pull right now is if truly Pochettino, the former Spurs manager is going to Chelsea. If that's mm-hmm. what's happening, then Nagelsmann from, from former Bayern, if he ever came in, might make sense, but they usually like to make those changes, you know, in the summer. Yeah, it wouldn't be a midstream, especially not with only a couple of games left. Season's almost over. Yeah, you'd think they'll they'll just let Mason finish it out and then. But it, that's what's so hard. The lore of Champions League, like yeah. the economics <laughs> of that, like it's incredible. It, even just the difference between Europa League money yeah. and Champions League money, you're talking a difference of maybe seventy million. 80 I know. million is a difference there. No, it's real. And it's, it's real at Spurs. It's, it's real everywhere, but really real there because they really do sell out and, they, and they're because of their new facility and all that other stuff. So, yeah, I, the, that, the only thing I was wondering, though, and I don't know what his clause is financially, not that that all matters as far as the Bayern piece. But I wonder, though, if you've got seven matches left, do you get a head start already, though, on what you have? Or do you think the it's so the season's so kind of there's not much he can do in this regard? I think as a coach, you just would want to start fresh. You'd want to start with a full summer of training. Get your players in. Don't come in midstream and then... Because the thing is, almost nothing good can happen. Look at Thomas Tuchel right now. Like, Tuchel comes in. Yeah, you're right. Kind, you know, And obviously a little bit earlier in the season. But it's been a train wreck. And like you, you're, you're jumping in as a coach midstream and trying to get your ideas across, but there's not enough time to fully get them through on the training field. And they've lost four in a row, and they've, they're now not leading the Bundesliga anymore. They're out of the Champions League. They're out of the DFB Pokal. That's a situation why maybe you don't make a managerial switch in February. <laughs> why maybe you just say, let's just wait and see what happens, especially at a big club like that. I still don't know if Pochettino is officially going to Chelsea at this point. And it, he probably- it, sure, it sure sounded like it was going to happen in the summer. I think he will be a Chelsea manager come June the 1st. He'll Everything will yeah. be signed, and he will take over. He'll be sitting in the stands. When you are there, well, let's see. When you're in, when you're in London, I'm guessing Poch will be in London too, just on the other side, sitting in the stands, but not coaching, observing. He's just going to be there, yep. attending, yep. watching over what he will be taking care of soon. And that's usually how those things work. But but I, I would say Nagelsmann could do the same thing. I mean, uh, that right? He, he could. The big question is, though, does he want that job? I think that's the thing that has been floating around now is, do you want to come to Spurs if you are a young up-and-coming manager and you've seen how things have gone? I think that there's still some attraction there. For him, who's just been at Bayern... I don't know if that's necessarily the move that he will want to make where you're going to have to re-recruit Harry Kane and turn the squad over. That's the big thing. I don't know if he's going to want to go. Yeah, but I, I think, though, the next one gets major rope. Like, like, like you get a project time. Like he's a young guy. He's only he's mid-30s. I don't want to call Tottenham a rehab assignment. But at the end of the day, he's probably going to be back to a bigger club than Tottenham at some point in time. Like, whatever, there's, what, like eight of them in the, in the world, probably, that you'd put in that bucket. And he probably would set himself up if he can get this thing going. I mean, I, I mean, you can argue what Man U has done or hasn't done under Ten Hag, but he's They've done okay. I mean, they they've at least uh, made strides, right? And, and they've done. What, and I think that's what would happen with him to some degree. And heck, if they ever decided, let's just pretend they want to play in the FA Cup, and they ever won one, I mean, you know, he'd have a statue. <laughs> it's a complicated situation, but we time will tell. And then your sporting director was fired because he's under investigation for. A lot of illegal stuff in Italy. It was a great week. We didn't even mention that. It was a great week, Bill. Great that week was like story 17. <laughs> it, was, it was a good week for that to drop, I guess, if yeah, you're going to hide it in the back and, and then, oh, by the way, we're playing Manchester United this week. I know. Oh, man. Well, best of luck to you tomorrow. It'll, it's going to go great. And, and then the final B-side statement is, I felt coming out of spring training, we were 81 and 81. And I feel as if, as we're recording this pod right now, we're right on our way. They've been consistent. Yeah. Consi- just, just win one, lose one. I'm not even sure I would, if you said sometimes, hey, do you want this team or the field? 
I think I would just go 81 and 81 and not even worry about it. even though there's a million <laughs> other records or permutations it could be, that's what they're going to be. Yeah. Eh, I could see that. Been an okay start. But yeah, nothing nothing great, nothing bad. Some high moments, some low ones. We beat Baltimore last night for the first time, I think, in three years. That would be a high one. Nice little something there. It's nice. Nice. Yeah. Nice road win. And the Celtics, oh, that was a bad loss. Tough one last night. Yeah, tough one last night. So now 3-2 in that series. We'll see what happens. You just don't want to give a team life like that. You could have just closed it out, called it good, but... It's why Weird you play playoffs. The, it's why you played the games. That's why you play the game. That's why that's you play right. the game. So there you go. I think we got two pods left. I mean, I think that's what we're talking about at this point in time. So we'll so. be recording again on May 10th. That's right. Yep. So look forward to that coming out in a couple of weeks. Big thanks again to Jim Varenkamp for taking some time to wrap things up today on the track season. Bill, always a pleasure, sir. Same. Same. And spring is here. Spring is a fish. I think we can say winners in the rear view. I think. That's right. And, and the other thing, the last thing we'll say is, you know, lot seems like a lot of movement are happening in certain portal conversations that we have. M- maybe by the time we get to maybe the last pod, we can be a little bit more, uh, we can make sure that I's have been dotted, T's have been crossed, and we can kind of figure some things out. Yeah, I would say so too. A lot of movement in the transfer portal, not everything official yet. So more still to come. Keep tuned to fightinghawks.com social media for etc from und athletics to find out what's going on when things become official with player movement and with everything else going on with fighting hawks athletics bill is always great to chat excited to chat again in two weeks time thanks alex big thanks to bill but thanks to jim shout out to our entire behind the scenes crew paul and kelsey and alec i'm alex thanks again for listening enjoy the start of spring